Well, happy 3rd of July to all of you. Uh, 3rd of July isn't a huge deal in America, uh, but the 4th of July uh, sure is. As we celebrate uh, the United States declaring independence in 1776, that was uh, less than 250 years ago. It's kind of crazy for me uh, to think about that because the United States is a powerhouse in our current world that we live in. And at least for me, it's kind of hard to imagine a world in which the United States uh, didn't exist. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, the United States is just a baby. Less than 250 years old, there is so much history before the founding of the United States of America. Uh, that reminds me, uh, reminded me a lot of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. Uh, and in this dream, this interpretation of this dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has, uh, we learn that there is going to be no nation, no kingdom that will last forever, except for one nation, except for one kingdom. And no, it's not the United States of America. Uh, the one kingdom that will last forever is the kingdom of God. And I look forward to that day and age. Um, but we have to realize uh, that America, in the grand scheme of things, was just a baby. And uh, ultimately, we have our citizenship in something much grander and greater uh, than the United States. But when we look back at the United States declaring independence in 1776, uh, and the years leading up to that independence, the American colonies, uh, they helped Great Britain settle a global struggle with France. Uh, France and Britain, they, they've kind of had this rivalry uh, for a long, long time. Uh, and so throughout this process of the American colonies helping out, Britain asserted tighter and tighter control of its North American colonies. And with tighter and tighter control, it was suffocating for the American colonies. And so eventually this suffocation, the, these troubles led to a struggle in which uh, the American colonists severed its colonial ties with Great Britain. And so that led to the official Declaration of Independence, which we celebrate tomorrow as a nation. But as uh, these colonists, the, these 13 original colonies, as they were sort of figuring out life uh, away from uh, the British Empire, it was a process of learning. It was a transition as it was gone with their former life and being subject to Great Britain. That, that was their former selves. They, they were getting rid of that. They were throwing that away. And now there was a sense of renewal. They were able to put on a new self, not just being a part of the British Empire, but now they have a completely different identity. The 13 colonies were then known as the United States of America. And that's what our nation celebrates. We, we celebrate a completely new identity. The United States of America, no longer subject to the British Empire. And uh, I hope you all uh, enjoy taking part in the festivities of our nation celebrating its independence. Uh, Mark Hackthorne messaged me on a Friday night, a little after 11 at night, saying that he and his family were going to be gone this weekend visiting Shannon's family for the holiday, and he was asked if I could get donuts uh, for the first Sunday of the month. 
And my first question is, Mark, what are you doing up past 11 o'clock? Because if you don't know Mark, he, he's an early bird. He goes to bed early and he wakes up early. And uh, all he replied was fireworks. And uh, that explained everything. Anybody uh, else can relate uh, to Mark there and fireworks. Uh, maybe, that, maybe that kept you up later than you were hoping. But hopefully... Whether or not these fireworks keep you up later than you're hoping, hopefully you you enjoy uh, this weekend and what we celebrate as a nation. As less than 250 years ago, we broke off from our former selves. And so as we anticipate this celebration on the 4th of July, today on the 3rd of July, uh, we can celebrate our new identity as Christians, And the truth of the matter is we should be celebrating this on the 4th of July as well. And you guessed it, on the 5th of July and the 6th and the 7th. And throughout the entire year, we should be celebrating our new identity as Christians. And we're going to take a look at that today as we continue our series on living like a saint. As we're going through the book of Ephesians, if you have your Bible, you can open up to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We've been going through verse by verse uh, the entire uh, letter of Ephesians, and uh, kind of the background theme throughout this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the saints at Ephesus is that he urges them, he calls them to live like a saint. And and so we today, we, we have many similarities with the saints at Ephesus, the Gentile believers in the city of Ephesus. And so we too, we need to learn to live like a saint. And today in our passage, chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, we're going to see how that we, the saints, we, the children of God, we have a new identity. Just like uh, the United States uh, had a new identity founded in 1776, we today, we have a new identity in Christ Jesus. And we're going to take a look at that new identity today. So again, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Ephesians, and we'll be picking up in uh, chapter 4, verses uh, 17, and we'll close out the chapter. We're nearing uh, the end of this series. We'll spend three more weeks uh, closing out chapters 5 and chapter 6 as well. So chapter uh, 4, verse 17, Paul it just got done talking about how uh, we have unity in the body of Christ. We need to speak the truth and love with one another. And so now Paul continues in verse 17, Paul says to the saints at Ephesus, the Gentile believers, he says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do and the futility of their minds. They are darkened and their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So again, we have to remind ourselves, the Apostle Paul is writing this to the saints at Ephesus, and I think there's good reason to believe that these saints at Ephesus, these Christians in the city of Ephesus, Many, if not all of them, were Gentile believers. And so Paul, he's telling a group of Gentiles, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. 
Let's break this down a, a bit. A couple points to help clarify this. Number one, when, when Paul says that we must that they must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, I believe Paul is specifically referring to the Gentiles who do not have faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The, the, the Gentiles, the people who aren't Jewish, who don't believe that Jesus is the master, he's the savior of the world. And so these Gentiles, these people who aren't Jewish, who don't have a faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, Paul says they exhibit a sinful lifestyle. Paul describes how they are alienated from God. They, they, they don't have that childlike relationship like, like a father would with his uh, uh, children, and, and, and they're missing out on that. And these Gentiles who don't have a faith, they have a hardness of heart, and they have become callous towards sin. My goodness, could Paul provide an ever more clear description of America today? We have become so calloused towards sin. Sin no, no longer means so much to us as we have become callous. A lot of times when you work hard out in the field, eventually your hands get used to that and, and you'll get callous on your hands. And, and, and this nation of America, we've been partaking in sin time and time and time and time and time again. And eventually we became callous to sin. I think we find great proof of that in uh, the month of June. The month of June, anybody know what the month of June is? Pride Month, yeah, and I, I, I don't mean to get political here. It's not, it's not a political issue. It's a sin issue, and, and we very much need to deal with sin issues in the church. It's an issue when we are celebrating the act of homosexuality. I mean, I think that is great proof to show that we have been calloused to the sins of the world, that not only are we going to tolerate with this sin, but now we're going to celebrate this sin. The sin which very, very clearly states in the Bible that God detests. God, God does not like the act of homosexuality. And in this nation that we live in, uh, we have a full month celebrating being prideful in an act that God detests. To me, that's proof that, that, that Americans be kind of fit in this description that Paul is talking about. And we have a hardness of heart that, that we have been calloused towards sin. And so these unbelieving Gentiles, Paul says, they practice every kind of impurity. Another uh, comparison to America today. But Paul says that they, the Gentile believers in Ephesus, must no longer walk in these sinful ways. So what that tells me is that at one point in time, they were walking in these ways. Why else would Paul says you must no longer walk in this manner of life. So that tells me the, 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 the saints, these Christians at Ephesus, at one point in time, they were walking in these ways. They were alienated from God. They had a hardness of heart. They were calloused towards sin. And again, when we read through the book of Ephesians, we can put ourselves in the shoes of the saints at Ephesus. And we too, we once walked in this manner. We once walked in a manner in which we were alienated from God, in which we had a hardness of heart, in which we were callous towards sin. But Paul says that we need to wake up. 
wake up. You must no longer walk in this manner. So we all, at one point in time, we were walking down this road, walking down this lifestyle of the Gentiles who don't believe in, in Christ Jesus. But at one point in time, we all need to cut that off and we need to walk in the opposite direction, we need to repent from our sins and walk towards the straight and narrow path that leads to everlasting life. And so he calls, he calls these Gentiles out, he describes what they believe, and he says that we need to no longer walk in this manner. And then Paul continues in verse 20, and Paul says, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard him heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So Paul, he, he describes all these different ways in how these Gentiles who don't believe in Jesus, they've been alienated from God, they have a hardness of heart, they have calloused towards sin. Paul says, this is not how we have been raised up in Christ. This is not how we learn Christ, learn to know him and learn to exhibit his character in our lives. It, it's a completely different lifestyle when we learn Christ. And Paul talks about what this looks like in the coming verses. This is kind of like the, the core of this uh, morning's uh, scripture here. Paul says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So when we learn to live like Christ, Paul says that we put off our old self, the same old self that Paul so eloquently described in verses 17 through 19, the self that was alienated from God, had a hardened heart, and was callous towards sin. And so this old self, Paul says, it is corrupted through deceitful desires. The fuel to the engine of our former selves was our deceitful desires. In our society, you may hear a lot of people say, oh, follow your heart. And whatever decision you make, just follow your heart. And uh, that is some pretty crummy advice if you ask me. Jeremiah uh, 17 uh, verse 9 states, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, or some translations read, desperately wicked. And so we're, we're encouraging people, oh, follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. Uh, but, we, but we see here in, in the former way of life, our old self, we were led astray by our deceitful heart, our deceitful desires within our heart. The, as these, decide, these desires, they had so much power over us. We can all attest to that. We have all been there before. Nobody is alone in this. Whether you, you've had the desire uh, to lie, you, maybe you had uh, the strong desire to get drunk, to watch pornography, to commit adultery, whatever it may be, we've all been there before. We have all been led astray by our corrupting, deceitful desires which come from our heart. And so Paul says, we need to take this old self and we need to put it off. You know, Paul uses a, a pretty gentle uh, language here, but I don't think we just need to put it off. I think we need to take our old self, we need to throw it on the ground, and we need to stop the living breath out of our former self. So let everybody take your former selves in your hand, your throwing hand, whatever it is. 
right hand, I'm guessing for most of you guys. Take your former selves right here and throw it on the ground and stomp on it. Stomp the living breath out of your former self. We have to put that off. That is no longer who we are. Instead, we are renewed in the spirit of your minds. And so as we put off our old self, our old self that, that was led astray by our deceitful heart, we see in verse 24, on the other hand, we need to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul here, he's talking about our identity. He's talking about who we are. And so as Christians, we put away our old identity, who we were, and we put on the new. And so now we are no longer alienated to God, but now in this new identity, we are his children. We no longer have a hardened heart towards God, but now in our new identity, we have been given a new heart. We're no longer calloused by sins in our old identity as a sinner, but now in our new identity as a Christian, as a saint, we recognize sin for what it is. That is our new self. And I love it because Paul says this new self, who we are today, is created after the righteousness and holiness of God. God is righteous. He has no fault in him. And our new selves, your new self today, if you've given your life over to Christ, you've been created after that. You've been created after the God in the image of the God who has no fault in him. You've been created after the God who is holy above all things. There, there is no other being equal to God. Truly, his name is hallowed. There's nobody like him. And we've been created after him in that image. And so we are holy today. Holy, just a, a fancy church term for basically being different, being set apart for, from those around us. The same exact message as being sanctified and being a saint. That is who we are today as Christians, as saints, as children of God. And I find so many similarities to this concept of putting away our former selves and America claiming its independence. As the USA, uh, it put off its former self of being British colonies, and then it put on its new self, being the, end the, the, the independent United States of America. And in the same sense, we have to put off our old selves led astray by our deceitful desires, our old identity as sinners, and now we put on this new self. This new self identified as a Christian, follower of Christ, identified as a saint, someone who is sanctified, someone who is set apart, identified as a child of God, child of the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. That is who you are today. You've been set apart, you have been sanctified, and we've got to live like it. We have got to live like saints. And so if you are someone who is stuck in a habitual practice of sin, you have to change your mindset. You have to change your identity. It's not about being a poor sinner trying to get over sin. No, when you are a Christian, you are a changed person. 
And that's not who you are anymore. You are not defined by that junk in your life anymore. I think too often, a lot of times, we, we uh, pity ourselves too much and think, oh, we're just poor little sinners. You know what poor little sinners do? They sin, and they sin, and they sin, and they sin. And don't get me wrong. We are going to sin. We are going to make mistakes. If you think that, uh, if you think that I think any of us are perfect, you, you are not hearing me out correctly. Instead, we still make mistakes, but we are no longer identified by those mistakes in our life. And when we change our mindset, when we change our identity and how we view ourselves, I think that gives you power over these different habitual practices of sin that you may have in your life. So start with the mindset. Start with the mindset and start with who you are and change your perspective of who you are. I think uh, scientists, philosophers in our modern day, they see that what we view of ourselves, our self-esteem, has a huge impact in the choices that we make as human beings. And I think the same applies in how we identify ourselves in Christ or without Christ. And so if we continue then, Paul continues, and he's talking about putting away falsehood. In verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So Paul says, now that we have put away falsehood, our old identity, let us speak truth in our neighbors. And we have to remember, we have to speak truth to our neighbors in love, in gentleness, and in respect. And Paul says, be angry. Be angry and do not sin. Hold up. You can be angry and not sin? Absolutely. Too often, I think, we associate anger with a, a, a bad emotion. But there is a good time to be angry. If we think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he triumphantly entered uh, the city of Jerusalem the week before he was crucified, and he walked into the city. One of the first things he would have seen was the temple on his left. And when he looked at the temple, he saw these people buying and selling. You know what Jesus did? He got angry. He got angry and he flipped the tables because he was so enraged that these people were making God's house of prayer into a den of robbers, a den of thieves. And so he was angry. But we also know Christ had no sin. And so here we see that we could be angry without sin in our lives. And we think about God, God in the Old Testament when he was dealing with the Israelites and dealing with these uh, foreign nations time and time again, God was angry. God got angry at his creation. But again, we know God is perfect in all ways. God has no sin in his life, but he was often angered. And so today in our culture, in our society, I think it should tick us off when our nation celebrates sin. I think that is a righteous anger. I think it should tick us off when we see our children being led astray by outside negative influence, that should make you angry. It should make you angry when we see children, many still in the womb, are being slaughtered at the hands of mankind. If that does not entice you to be angry, 
We need to check our priorities. We, we need to check who we are because this, this angers God. And there is a righteous anger. And with this righteous anger, the idea behind it is it then motivates us to take action, to take action and help remedy some of the issues that we see today. And so anger is not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It can be used for good, and it can be used for bad. So Paul says, be angry and do not sin, but do not let the sun go down on your anger. So there's benefit in being angry, but Paul warns us of being angry when we go to bed. In other words, Paul says there is a danger and having an elongated uh, a feeling of anger. It's not healthy to be angry all the time. Uh, that's, that's not very uh, Christ-like. Uh, we, I think we all know people in our lives who are just angry all the time. And people who are angry all the time, they're not very uh, pleasant to deal with and, and to associate with. And so we have to recognize that there is a righteous anger, which should be, we should be called to anger at times, but we, we, we don't have a lifestyle of anger. We, we don't have this prolonged feeling of anger. We, we, we don't rest. We don't go to sleep with, with a sense of anger night and night and night again. So be angry. Don't sin and you're angry. And don't let the sun go down on your anger either. That will give an opportunity to the devil. And so Paul continues in verse 28. And, and Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that, he, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So Paul, here, here he highlights uh, the value of honest work, and that's a virtue that is uh, respected in our society and culture. It, it is valued to partake in honest work. Paul continues in verse 29, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. So only use speech in your life that builds other people up. When you talk about someone else, you are either building them up or you are tearing them down. And so before you say it, before you start talking about someone else, stop and think a minute and reflect, am I building this person up or am I tearing this person down? If what you are about to say is not building them up, then you need to shut up. <laughs> you need to shut up if what you are about to say is going to tear them down. God, the, God does not like that. God, we, we talk about that in, in uh, the book of Proverbs. We talk about a couple things that God hates, and God hates people who, who stir the pot, who, who tear others down. God hates it when you talk poorly about other people. This is like one of, if not my greatest pet peeve, when I hear people talking poorly about others. Any guesses on how that makes me feel? Any guesses? Angry. Yeah, it, it makes me angry when I hear people talking poorly about other people. 
And I think it's a good anger. I think it is a righteous anger because that goes against God's vision for us. God does not want us tearing each other down, but only we should only use our speech as is good for building up. And so if you're about to say something poorly about someone else to a group of people, shut up. That's right. Pastor told you to shut up if you are about to say that. There, there are wise words in that. And so if we close out this chapter here, verse 30, Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. So Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't do anything that would upset God's spirit. In, in our English translations, a lot of us do, uh, will read, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. One side comment about the pronoun whom. Uh, the pronoun in the Greek is os and, or os, and it can be translated as whom or which. A Greek pronoun is simply follows the gender and the personhood of the noun. And so the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, and, and that is singular person, and that is a neuter word. In other words, it's, it's not a male gender or female gender, it's neuter. A lot of different languages have uh, genders associated with these different nouns. And so these pronouns, they just match up with the nouns that they are connected with. And so it's a singular neuter pronoun that they are using. And uh, in your Bible, more often than not, uh, when, when you see this pronoun uh, os in, in the Greek, it's more often translated as that or which rather than who or whom. Uh, but they mix it up when talking about the spirit uh, because of their theology. And I feel like I just have to bring that up each time that we see that because it can be misleading to read about the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Instead, we have just as good reason, if not better reason, to read that as by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. We talked about this in the first chapter, that the Holy Spirit of God seals you for redemption. In other words, if we keep up our end of the deal, the Holy Spirit is going to seal our spot in God's kingdom. And Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Some of you guys are saying, hold up, Kyle. Didn't you just say that we should be angry at times? And now Paul is saying to put, put, away, all to put away all bitterness and wrath and anger. Uh, here, I think if we uh, take a look at the context of what Paul is talking about, he's talking about uh, that, that selfish anger uh, that is prolonged and, and being angry night after night after night. And uh, we need to stay away from that, that selfish uh, feeling of anger, but we most certainly should strive towards that righteous anger. So let all of the, these bad things, let all this clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And so that's a part of putting away our old selves, throwing our old selves on the ground and stomping the living breath out of our old selves. And so Paul says, in conclusion, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. A lot of times when we read 
forgive one another as God and Christ forgave us, I don't think we understand the ramifications of this. <laughs> that uh, we are to forgive one another just as God forgave us. And let me tell you, I've got a lot of junk in my life. Let me tell you, you got a lot of junk in your life, in your former selves. But guess what? God forgave you. God forgave you. And we have been called to forgive in that same manner. And we all know from experience that is not easy, not one little bit. It is difficult, extremely difficult to forgive as God in Christ forgave each and every one of us. But because through Christ, God is willing, he is wanting, and he is able to forgive all of our sins because of the ultimate sacrifice. And so as we conclude our service today, we're going to take a, a couple of minutes and reflect on that great sacrifice.